Today's scripture comes from Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 25. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward, but you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. The angel of the Lord, who was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the, with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. And the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning, watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud, looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that, so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Well, today we are continuing our series called Let My People Go. And in order to get where we need to get to today... We have to do a brief recap of, of where, <coughs> excuse me, where we have been. So the Exodus story opens with God calling two Hebrew midwives. What were their names? Shifra and Pua. You guys did much better than the 945 service. I just want you to know that, which confirms my suspicions anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, these two women were disenfranchised, but they were called by God. They saved an entire generation of Hebrew boys. I think it's worth noting that the great story, the great saga of God's liberation begins not with a king, 
or a warrior, but with two slave women named Shifra and Pua, who saved an entire generation. The next week, we told the story of Moses' call at the burning bush. When God calls Moses at the burning bush, is Moses excited about this prospect? No. Moses raises five objections about God's call in his life, which sound a lot like the objections we raise. God, I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not a good enough leader. I don't have the skills I should have. And at the end, in the most honest fashion, Moses says, I don't want to do this. The last couple of weeks, we have seen how through God's mighty activity on behalf of the Hebrew children through the ten plagues that God even broke Pharaoh's hard heart, bringing it to the point that Pharaoh was willing to let God's people go free. God used the least powerful. Two slave women named Shifra and Pua to stand for the most powerful man in the world. God used a timid, stuttering shepherd to be his bold mouthpiece. God broke the hardest, most narcissistic of hearts to set God's people free. So what's the big takeaway of things we have learned so far? I hope we've learned a lot, but one big takeaway. The Exodus is certainly about God, as on all Scripture, God is the primary actor. But if we learn anything about humanity and the story of the Exodus, it's this. God never calls the people we expect. And the person I least expect God to call is me. Like the Hebrew children, we have been set free and God has then called us to be part of God's liberation of the world. We're not set free just to enjoy the breeze. God frees us for a purpose. To feed the hungry. To bring hope to the hopeless. That's what we've learned so far. Today I want to change gears a little bit. Today I want to invite us to ask ourselves this question. What happens in my life when all that calling, all that energy that I'm supposed to be putting into this, what happens when all of my best efforts can't do a thing to change the situation I'm facing right now? What happens when, like the Hebrew children in our story this morning, we find ourselves in that impossible place, trapped between an army and an ocean? What do we do in that moment? Today we find the Israelites coming to the Red Sea. And in their saga, we find some great wisdom, great help for the moments we feel helpless. How do the Hebrew children respond when they find themselves in a difficult moment? They get snarky. Look at, look at the passage from chapter 14, verse 11 and 12. They said to Moses, hey man, was it because there weren't enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? Thanks. What have you done? Bring us out of Egypt. Look in verse 12. Look, there we go. Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Did you hear that? The Hebrew children were willing to choose the certainty of their bondage 
over the uncertainty of God's freedom. The Hebrew children were willing to choose the certainty of their own bondage over the uncertainty of God's freedom. Why would they do that? Why? Why would we do something like that? Why would there be people who would choose to live in the bondage of sin rather than the abundant life of Jesus Christ? I think that's a simple answer. It's because as painful as our bondage can be at times, it can still be a known entity. Hebrew children would rather have lived in slavery because they knew what it was like than to live in the immense possibility of God's freedom. But that's not, that's not the only thing that caused the Hebrew children to respond negatively when they were encountering a difficult moment. The second thing that the, uh, Israel's, it's like Israel's second response to the difficulty is they forgot their story. They forgot their story. The, these are people who had watched the Nile turn to blood. They watched as boils erupted on the faces and hands and arms of their Egyptian overlords. They heard on the night of the Passover, they heard those screams of lament turn into shouts for joy when they finally were set free. They had experienced God's mighty act of salvation in their lives. And the moment things got hard, they forgot their story. Now, lest you think I'm just picking on the Israelites today, let me tell you, there are times in my life that I forget my story too. Maybe you do the same thing. Like, for example, I told you last year, part of our story is that uh, four weeks after our little girl Parker was born, my wife Andy was diagnosed with a very rare and very aggressive form of uterine cancer. They went in, did some biopsies. They said, yes, yes, it's, it's that kind of cancer. It's what we thought it was going to be. We need to do the surgery. We need to do it now. So we go through this whole big surgery thing. And, and I will never forget, we went in a couple days after the surgery for her follow-up, and they brought in the pathology report, and the doctor walked in, and she had this puzzled look on her face. And she said, I don't, I don't know how to tell you this, but we couldn't find any cancer in you. We went back and we looked at the biopsy. There was cancer there. We confirmed it again. But Andy, it's gone. That's our story. That's my story. I was in the room when it happened. And despite the fact that God has brought us through trials like that over and over and over again in our lives, there are still some moments when I'm tired or frustrated that Rob finds himself crying out to God, Why did you bring me to Stafford to die? <laughs> we, had a, we had a water pipe break. It didn't, even, it didn't even break inside our house. It broke outside our house. So when it broke, stuff went into the ground. That's what water's supposed to do, go into the ground. But in the midst of that saga, I found myself like the psalmist saying, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? I forgot my story. In the midst of stress and anxiety and fear, I can forget my story. I wonder if you ever do the same. The Hebrew children were willing to choose bondage over liberation. And they forgot their story. And in the midst of their fear and their spiritual amnesia, God gives them a gift of Moses' counsel 
Moses offers some great wisdom to them. Check out verse 13. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. See what the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. It's a Chuck Norris moment right in the middle of Scripture, church. You'll never see him again. When the people of Israel found themselves in an impossible position, stuck between an army and an ocean, Moses gives them two salient pieces of advice. One, do not be afraid. It reminds me of the story, it's a true story, of a guy by the name of Black Bart. Uh, from 1875 to 1883, Black Bart terrorized stagecoaches going from New York to San Francisco. Uh, in fact, he robbed 29 of them in his eight-year reign of terror. And they couldn't catch him, and they couldn't figure out who he was. In the midst of all this, interestingly, Black Bart never actually fired a shot from his gun. It was just his reputation. When he told people who he was, they just would throw their money out to him. Well, eight years after his reign of terror started, he was caught, finally. A couple of things that are interesting to know about Black Bart, this guy who was terrorizing the West. First, uh, Black Bart would always take a stagecoach to rob the next stagecoach. He, he would basically he took a taxi to his crime. And when asked, why, why would you take a stagecoach and have them let you off in the middle of the desert and then robbed the next stagecoach, he said, well, I'm, I'm afraid of horses. Black Bart. Terrifying Black Bart. Afraid of horses. The other thing I told you was that he never fired a shot. You know why he never fired a shot? There were no bullets in his gun. Because it turns out not only was he afraid of horses, he was afraid of the sounds that bullets make when they're fired. This is terrifying Black Bart. What's the point? We spend a lot of time and energy wrestling with fear, especially when we come to understand that the enemy is out of bullets. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, what is it? What is it we're afraid is going to separate us from God's love? Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? No. He says, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors to the ones who loved us. What Paul is saying is, we have nothing to be afraid of. The enemy is out of bullets. Moses says to the Egyptian children, do not be afraid. To the Hebrew children, don't be afraid. The Egyptians are no threat to you. Watch, watch and see what God is going to do. And God says the same thing to us throughout Scripture in the course of our lives. What are you going to be afraid of, says God? Pain? I'll be with you. Sorrow? I'll weep right beside you. Death? Don't you know I'm the Lord of the resurrection? When we encounter things that are so big we have no hope of defeating them alone, God says time and time again, do not be afraid, my child, for if I can conquer sin and death and hell, I can conquer this too. 
But that's not all God says to God's people in their moment of great need. God uses his servant Moses to give a second piece of wisdom to the Hebrew children. First, do not be afraid. And then Moses says to them, stand firm. Some translations say, keep still. Our tendency, particularly this group of people, who hold a work ethic as a very high value, our tendency is to want to work as hard as we can to eradicate whatever problem is in front of us. Praise the Lord, that's great, except when all of our blood and all of our sweat and all of our tears are spent to try and accomplish something that only God himself can accomplish. When we find ourselves wrestling with our own spiritual amnesia and struggling to remember the one who set us free, when our calling isn't clear, when our lives are unbelievably hard, God says, do not fear. Keep still. Even when the army is in hot pursuit, keep still. It reminds me of Psalm 46, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations God has brought to the earth, for he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I'm exalted among the nations, exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Do not be afraid. Be still. Remember who set you free, who gave you purpose, who lovingly authored your story. But, turns out the Hebrew children were right about one thing. Living into our freedom... Living into God's freedom in our lives can be a scary thing. Because the, the danger of living into God's freedom is that when we step out of old familiar ways and answer the call of God in our lives, the only one we can ultimately, ultimately rely on in that moment is God. When the Israelites found themselves backed up against the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army in hot pursuit, they had one hope. God. The story of the Exodus teaches us a lot, but one of the things it teaches us is when we come to the place where God is our only option, we find that God is the only one we ever truly needed. I had a chance over the course of the uh, recent weeks to spend time with a family in our congregation uh, for whom uh, a death is imminent. And I, I was in the hospital with this family recently and One of the folks said of the spouse, I've, I've given this person to God. And it opened up this great opportunity for us to begin to talk about a service of death and resurrection. And one of my favorite lines in our, our funeral service says this. It says, before Rob was ours, he is yours. What does that mean? For Rob was ours, he is yours. Sometimes we worry about the people in our lives who suffer. Sometimes we wonder how people will make it after we are gone. God says, don't be afraid. Before they belong to you, they're mine. 
And long after you return to the dust, you will still be mine. One final observation I'd like to make from Exodus chapter 14. It's in verse 25. God clogged their chariot wheels, so they turned with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Most powerful army in the world at the time ran away. I want to compare this to another great story of liberation The story of the cross. In Mark chapter 15, we hear these words. Now when the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way Jesus had breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. What happens? What happens when we let God fight our battles for us? What happens is that eventually, even those who would call themselves our enemies will begin to proclaim the truth of God. It's a promise of Scripture that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In both of these stories, soldiers from the most powerful nations in the world admit their powerlessness before the God of the earth said differently, What happens in Exodus happens at the cross. The powers of the earth are made subject to the power of God. In this series, we've learned that God sets us free and calls us to be agents of freedom in this world. But today we see something else. What is the takeaway from today's teaching? The practical application this morning is... When we come to the place in our lives where all of our practical application is going to be fruitless. In those helpless moments when we're outgunned and outmanned and overwhelmed. In those moments when we have no ability or capacity to change the situation. We will covenant. Not to fear. Because the enemy is out of bullets. We will choose to be still and know that the Lord is God. To be still and watch what God can do. These fences behind us have been our companion throughout this series. They are metaphors for the reality that sometimes we we still choose bondage over liberty. Today the words that are on the, the fences are these words, be still. Here's my request of you. During our final song, I want to invite you to come forward and add your link to the chain. What I'm asking us to do is to live in the uncertainty of our freedom rather than the certainty of our bondage. And the real question is this. What is that thing in your life that's so big you have no hope of changing it? A sickness? A disease? A loved one? A relationship? What is it? Would you be willing to trust God with it? To covenant before God and Christ's holy church to simply be still and watch the God of liberation render your deliverance. For the Exodus is full of sound and fury and it signifies something of unparalleled importance. This is God's world. It always has been and it doesn't matter who sits 
on the throne of Pharaoh. Maybe it's Ramses or Caesar or Mr. or Madam President or Chairman, whatever. This is God's world. It doesn't matter what deficiencies we find within ourselves. We were made by the hands of the master. We were made with great purpose here in God's world. And if we know anything about God, the God of the Exodus, the God of the cross, the God of the empty tomb, if we know anything about the God of this world, we know that ours is a God of freedom who will not tolerate his children being held in bondage any longer. So don't be afraid. Be still. Trust in the great work of God's liberation. Trust your place in the saga of God's freedom. Freedom from fear and sin and death and hell. Freedom from wasted lives. Freedom to truly live. Because this is a God who will topple tyrants. And move mountains. Ours is a God who will hold back a sea and roll back a stone. Until the day His children can sing to His glory. Thank God Almighty we're free at last. So what is it? What's that thing that's too big? What's the thing that's keeping you between the army and the ocean? What is it? Are you willing today to covenant not to fear? And instead to be still and watch what the great God of liberty can do in your life. Let us pray, church. Holy God, we confess that there have been times that we have chosen the known enterprise of bondage over the unknown future of our liberty. We confess that though you have done amazing things in our lives, there have been moments that we've forgotten our story. We pray for your forgiveness and grace today. We ask, oh God, that in our moments of greatest need, that we will covenant not to be afraid. That we will choose to be still. And to watch what you can do. Because you are great. It's nothing for you to hold back the sea. The stone didn't hesitate when you rolled it back. You've conquered everything, everything, everything that would stand in the way of our liberation. And you're not soon to stop conquering, O God. So help us to trust in you. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And always for his sake. Amen.